Thank you for choosing to worship with us. We know that there are lots of churches in Philly, and I'm glad that you have chosen to worship with us this morning. My name is Pastor John Eric, and I will be preaching today, bringing the word. We are in a series uh, called We Believe, so we're, uh, we are um, going through a series of things that we believe, because what we believe affects how we live. And sometimes not everyone understands where we stand. So we preach on what we believe so that you can uh, rally up. We can rally up together and stand together with that. So the last uh, several things that we've covered, we've covered the Word of God. We believe that God's Word is from God to us. Amen. Amen. And has a lot to say and has the final authority in everything. That's what we believe. We believe that God exists in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, uh, each distinct. The, the, the persons are distinct, but equally God. Uh, and we also believe that we believe in Jesus Christ, mainly that he is God and that he uh, humbled himself and came to the earth. Amen. And so today we're going to talk a little bit more about Jesus Christ because uh, this church isn't just an isolated church in Philadelphia. We belong to a big family of churches in our country and in the um, other side of the world. We belong to the Christian and Missionary Alliance. And in the Christian and Missionary Alliance, we are a Christ-centered church, meaning that we preach Jesus through and through. We trust in Jesus. We worship Jesus. We love Jesus. And we're grateful for what he has done for us. Amen. Namely, that He is the Savior, He is our Sanctifier, Jesus is our Healer, and He is our Coming King. And so today, we're going to be talking about Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen? Amen. When I was about 12 years old, um, I went, there was a block party right down the street from my house that this local church was putting together. And as they, uh, so I decided to go, and they had this ticket, this ticket that you got your, your uh, you did different activities, and then at the end, you got a t-shirt. So you played games, you even got a, a punch hold or hole punched for a hot dog, and you got, uh, everyone had to go to what they called the gospel tent, or uh, a tent where something of the gospel was being presented. At this point in my life at 12 years old, I knew that Jesus Christ came, I knew that he died, and I knew that the world was going to hell. And so I had already accepted Jesus Christ because I didn't want to go to hell. I wanted to go to heaven. But on this particular day, you know, when, when you're a kid, you start, you accept things. And then you start thinking, you're still formulating what you believe and what you know. Um, and, the, and then you always bring that. I don't know that you have the capability to bring what you believe into reality. So a lot of times things get confused. But in this season of my life at 12 years old, uh, I, I had experienced Jesus because I didn't want to go to hell. But I was like, I don't really want to go to church. I want to do the church thing. And so on this particular day, they did, they, this church was having a block party. So I went down to the playground, did my thing. And I had to do one more thing to get that T-shirt, and uh, I sat through the gospel presentation. And in this gospel presentation, there was uh, one man who was um, the stand-in for all of humanity. And this one man was surrounded, was perfect, but then something, he made a choice, and then something happened that these, uh, these vices started oppressing him and surrounding him. So you think like four other people dressed in dark clothes, you know, trying to tempt him and, and uh, encapsulating him and coming and trying to uh, basically to the point of paralyzing him and making him uh, desensitized to the Lord, desensitized to what his purpose is in life, that kind of thing. And so it got to the point where this dude was so oppressed to the brink of death. All of these vices, alcoholism, sexual addiction, drug addiction, stealing, uh, robbing and cheating and all whatever it is that, that we face was uh, enclosing on him 
and paralyzing him to the point of overtaking him and killing him. And so, in steps in the hero figure of the story. While he was surrounded, he steps in, reaches his arm out, pulls him out of that, and puts himself in that place. The hero figure who is supposed to be Jesus, right? And in that, all of these vices are coming at him to the point of death. He dies, but he rises again. And his victory, is he's able to apply his victory to this man once he put his faith in him. So out of gratitude and love, this guy who was entrapped in sin bows down to him, accepts him, and he enters into relationship with him. That was the first time that I ever heard that Jesus, who is God, loves us. Before I was afraid of going to hell, so I accepted him. And that day, I understood his love differently. I understood his love in the way that God humbled himself, came into the struggle, lived a life on this earth, experienced what we experienced, and out of love and devotion, right, out of love for us and devotion to God, he gives himself in our place, he puts himself uh, on the cross where we should be, and saves us. That's what he does, right? So when we look at, at the world, that was the very thing, what Jesus did, was the very thing that would bridge God's intention for creation to the reality of creation. Because God's intention for, for creation, God's summary of all his creation was, it was very good. Everything was perfect, sinless, there was nothing evil, no rebellion in his creation here on earth. Uh, but when you look at his purpose and you look at our reality today, you see that there is a huge gap between what is very good and what is our reality. And Jesus brings the very good and our reality, he bridges the gap with his very life. And that is what we call salvation. Because when, when you ask someone to save you, you are in desperate need. When you are in the moment where you need salvation, you recognize that there is nothing else that you can do in the matter that will bring about a different outcome. There needs to be intervention. And so when you call upon Jesus, that's what he does. He intervenes because what was once collapsing onto you to paralyze you and to kill you and to desensitize you to your purpose in him, your, uh, your eyes looking to him, your ears hearing your voice, sin does that in our lives. It overtakes us to the point of death. But on that moment where you start hearing his voice, where you start seeing the beauty of what he did on the cross in your place for all of humanity and specifically for you. He did that because he loved you. He did that to save you. So when we think of salvation, I want you to know that because there is a huge gap between what God intended creation to be and what it really is, we, we recognize that as a desperate need for a Savior. And Jesus is the Savior. Jesus is the one who enters in that his name in Matthew 1, 21, when, when the angel appeared to Joseph, because Joseph, I don't know if you know the story, but... Uh, Joseph was feeling some type of way that his girl got knocked up by some Holy Spirit. And so he was going to divorce her secretly. But what happened was an angel appeared to him and said, no, what is in her is of the Lord. It's conceived of the Holy Spirit. In fact, you are to go and marry her and you are to go and name him this, name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So Jesus qualifies, he is fit to be the Savior because his name itself means him who saves. And what does he save us from? Our sins. Jesus is qualified to be the Savior because he is sinless. And because he is sinless, he is a worthy sacrifice. 
The Bible says in Hebrews 14, uh, 415, that he was tempted in every way, yet was without what? Without sin. He was sinless. And in 1 Peter chapter 1, 18 through 19, it says that he, he redeemed us with his precious blood, and he was able to redeem us with his precious blood because he was like a lamb without blemish or without spot. What we understand, too, from the testimony of Scripture is that Jesus' name is exclusively the only name that can save. It's exclusively the only name that can save. Here it is. And there is salvation in no one else. Is there salvation in our president? Is there salvation in our mama? In our papa? In our granny? No, there's no salvation. I mean, granny could probably save you from a butt whooping, but that's about it. There is salvation in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. No other name. We sang about it. There's no other name. No other name like the name of Jesus. Because what he has accomplished is tantamount. What, is, what he has accomplished is like nothing that anyone ever has accomplished. And no one could ever match what Jesus has accomplished. So when we ask ourselves, what did Jesus save us? What does that mean that he saved us? What did he save us from? So I want to answer that question. What did Jesus save us from? And I want to answer the other question is what did he save us to? So he takes us from something and changes the trajectory of our life to something. We need to understand that. Save us from and saves us to. Good. Glad you're with me. The first thing that that the Bible declares that Jesus saves us from saves us from, is the penalty of sin. The Bible says in John chapter 1 that everyone has sinned. Everyone has sinned. And if you say that you haven't sinned, then you're making God to be a liar. Because the whole reason why this world is not very good and is jacked up, it's because of sin. Sin that they committed, our first father and mother, Adam and Eve, and sin that we commit and sin that others sin against us. It's all jacked up. And so if you say there is no sin, then you're saying God is a liar, and to say that he's a liar would be dangerous. Because God doesn't lie. He always tells the truth. So who sins? The Bible says in Romans 3.23 that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And what is the penalty of sin? The penalty of sin is this, death. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. When Adam and Eve sinned to take us from very good to very jacked up, when they sinned, what they did was made an independent choice away from God. And when they chose to do the opposite of what God had said, because God in his love gives you a choice. He gave them a choice, and they were tempted, and so they found the fruit to be desirable. And they disobeyed God. They sought independence away from God. They were confused in that moment about who they were because Satan tempted them and said, if you eat this, you will be like God. But remember, when God created them, he created them to be like him in his image. So Satan was promising something that they already had. And so they ate, sought independence away from God. And so sin comes into the world, not just uh, so natural disasters, disease, death, and all of that comes into the world. And also uh, a marred image inside of you. So how you were made to be like God, uh, your emotions, your intellect, and your choices are now marred and have a bent towards selfishness, sin, and the things that aren't honoring to the Lord. So we go from very good to jacked up because of that. And because of our choices, the Bible declares time in and time out that there will be judgment for what you say, judgment for what you do, and judgment for the decisions that you make. There's going to be judgment. And so I want to warn you and tell you, if we want to understand that Jesus saves us from the penalty of sin, you need to understand what the penalty is. 
And the Bible teaches, we believe that the Bible teaches that, that there is a judgment that's going to come. And this is a conscious, say conscious. That's an important word because many people, some people believe that when you cease to, to live, you cease to exist. So there is no consciousness in the afterlife. But the Bible does not teach that. So consciousness is important. There is a conscious eternal torment in the lake of fire. So let's talk about this eternity. Jesus says, then he will answer them saying, truly I say to you, as you did not do to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. What you need to understand is that in this parable, that this is the conclusion of a parable. Jesus says, uh, whatever you do to the least of these. So there are some who did towards the least of these. And there are some who did not do towards the least of these. Right. And, and he says that what you do towards the least of these, you do unto him. What you don't do to the least of these, you don't do unto him. And he separated them in this parable that the left side. I keep it with the analogy because I pointed over here already. The left side, my left, your left, uh, the left side are the goats and the right side are the sheep. And the sheep are the ones who do and the, sh the goats are the ones who don't. And the conclusion is that those who are goats in this parable are sent and these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. So what we're talking about when we're talking about the penalty of sin is something of the eternal. We don't have a concept for that. A lot of us live in the now, in the here and the now. But Jesus gives us a glimpse of the eternal. He teaches us that there is an afterlife, that there is a part of you that though your body dies, there's a part of you that continues to live. So this is a conscious, eternal, and we talked about torment, say torment. The Bible says in Revelations chapter 14, this is considering those who take the mark of the beast. Some of you did the Revelation uh, study, so you know a little bit about this. Uh, I don't have time to explain all of this. In the future, there's going to be a beast. He's going to have a mark, and you can't do anything without the mark. And if you take it, that is rejecting God. So to do that, he says there in verse 10, he will also, those who receive the mark on their foreheads or, or their hands, he also will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with sulfur and, or fire and sulfur. So this is a conscious, eternal torment. Where? Those whose names are not written in the book of life, they get thrown into the lake of fire. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Conscious, eternal torment in the lake of fire. This is the judgment. In the day where God creates a new heaven and a new earth, these are the ones who will not be allowed in the new heaven and the new earth. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. But there's good news. Amen? There's good news. See, the penalty that we're dealing with is judgment upon those who reject Jesus. But for those who accept Jesus, this is what Paul summarizes in Romans 8. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. What does Jesus do? He saves us. He, he allows us to share in his life, to share in his righteousness, to share in his goodness. He allows us to the place 
where we will not be condemned for our sins. Those who are in Christ Jesus are the ones who call on Jesus to save them. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10 that you need to do two things in order to be saved. The first thing is to make a confession. The confession that you make is that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. That's the confession that you make. The second thing you do is you believe. And there's something that you believe in your heart. And that is that God raised him from the dead. So what do you do? You confess that Jesus is Lord. And you believe in your heart that he rose again from the dead. And you will be saved. There's a confession. Power in your words. Power in what you declare. And there's a belief that is in your heart. And that is a belief that Jesus is who he said he was. He died on the cross. He was buried. And he rose again from the dead. There is no salvation without the resurrection of Jesus Christ. No salvation. So those who put their faith in in Jesus and call upon him, the Bible says you won't be condemned. The Bible says that there is no judgment, no conscious eternal torment in the lake of fire for those who are in Christ Jesus. Not in yourself, not in your good deeds, not in your religiosity, in Christ Jesus. In relationship with him, in confidence in him, in trust in him, in what he has done, not what you can do. Amen? Amen. So Jesus saves us from the penalty of sin. And second, he saves us from the power of sin. Say power of sin. To say power of sin is to talk about being controlled. To talk about uh, what influences you. What takes over you. What leads you. What motivates you. To talk about power is to talk in that way. And what the Bible says is that upon Jesus' death, upon his burial, upon his resurrection, and his exaltation, what the conclusion is, is that for if we have been united with him in a death like, he, like his, so we share in his death, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his, we share in his resurrection. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin for one who has died has been set free from sin. Sin is never meant to be your friend. Sin is always meant to be your master. Always. You let it in just a little bit, just a taste, it wants to take all, right? It's like that friend that comes over and leaves stuff and then moves in gradually. (laughs) Next thing you know, they have their whole entourage (laughs) in the house and you've got one corner of the house. Sin is always meant wanting to be your master. Why do I say that? Because in Genesis, the Lord says to Cain, hey, Sin desires to have you, but you must master it. Right? Sin always desires to have us, to overtake us, to to rule us. But the reality for us who are in Christ Jesus, who receive the salvation, is that sin no longer, sin no longer, sin no longer controls us. It no longer controls us. There's power in knowledge, right? Especially in knowledge of the truth, right? And some of us may not have experienced this freedom from sin, but today the Lord is telling you it's possible. Today the Lord is saying it's possible. You can, you're no longer controlled by sin, and you can also say no to it. For the grace of God has appeared, 
bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness. What does the grace of God train us to do? Renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. I love the NIV version of this because it says this. It says, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, and it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live upright, self-controlled, oh, sorry, live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. This is what the Bible tells us is our reality. To be saved from the power of sin is to be able to, to, to notice, to know that sin is no longer your master, it no longer controls you, and that you can say no to it. See, what, you, what happens when you die with Christ? The Bible testifies that we have been crucified with Christ. When you say, Jesus, save me, what you're saying is, Jesus, I'm dying with you. I'm dying to myself, and I'm dying to my old life. And what you are setting yourself up for when you die to yourself and you die to your, uh, to your old life, your sinful life, what you're setting yourself up for is for the Holy Spirit's life to overtake you. The life of Jesus to overtake you. And so Paul says in Romans 8 that it is by the Spirit that we put to death the misdeeds of the flesh. So not only is God in his work on the cross not only does he, does he send your, your slave master running, not only does he give you authority to say no to sin, he gives you a helper who lives within you to slay sin, to take the sword and put it to death. Not to like nurture it and pet it and keep it close by. No, to kill it at the very first sight. The moment that it peeks his head, chop, by the power of the Spirit. Why? Because it is always wanting to be your master. But you must put it to death. So, let's think about this. When he saves us from the power of sin, he allows, he, sin no longer controls us. When he saves us from the power of sin, Sin, we can say no to sin. Thirdly, we can put sin to death. I want to warn you of this thing that is happening and has happened for many years of reclassifying sin. The danger of reclassifying sin to say what the Bible specifically says is sin to reclassify it as, oh, it's not sin. Oh, that's how you were made to be. That's how you were designed to be. And, and I'm not mocking. You understand? There's no sense of mockery. What I want you to understand is that when we, when we reclassify sin and say sin is not sin, whatever particular sin you want to call it, whether it's sexual, whether it's addiction, whether it's stealing, whether it's lying, whatever it is, Whatever is your vice, whatever is in the family line that, that belongs to your family, that wants to stifle you and, and hinder you from your destiny in Jesus Christ. When you reclassify it, you remove the power of Jesus to overcome it. When you say that it is not sin, what you're saying is, I no longer have the power to resist it. When you say that it's not sin, you're saying it has the permission to control me. When you're saying that it's not sin, you're saying I have no, I'm not going to exercise my authority to say no to it. When you're saying that it's not sin, what you're saying is I reject the Holy Spirit who is in me to put that very thing to death. And so what you end up doing is you end up becoming the very thing that Jesus wanted to save you from. You have no hope if Jesus, if what Jesus calls sin, sin, and you don't agree with it, 
then you have no hope. You will become that. But until you agree with Jesus, because in his love, he gave himself and he died on the cross for our sins to fulfill the scripture, taking anything, everything and anything that is offensive about you, he took it. And the moment that you identify yourself with that sin, you are removing yourself from the stream or the power that is, that, that is possible for you to overcome that. So there is, a, there is a thing in our society where we're reclassifying what the Bible calls sin. And we're minimizing things or we're elevating things or we're excusing things. And we need to be careful of that because we strip the gospel of its power to free you. Because sin is always meant to be your master. And it's not unloving of Jesus to call what is meant to kill you sin. Because he was killed for that. It's not unloving. I call you today to, to consider the dangers of what you call sin or reclassifying sin and to come into agreement this day with what Jesus and the word of God calls sin. Amen? Amen. So Jesus saves us from the penalty of sin and he saves us from the power of sin. And one day, he will save us from the presence of sin. Remember, it was very good, and it's very jacked up. And one day, the Lord is going to bring his intended purpose into reality. He's bringing us back to that. He does that by making us new creations, us new creations, and the creation that is uh, exposed to futility, and it's exposed to the, the, the curse that was incurred upon it when Adam and Eve sinned, that is exposed to the curse, that will one day end. And that's what we call the presence of sin. Amen? This is what the Bible says. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. You see God's motivation? God's desire is to be with his people. In the midst, if you look at how scripture unfolds, that's how it was. In the garden, he was with man and woman. They walked with God in the cool of the day. Hung out with the Lord. In the, when Moses came on after the fall, God dwelt among his people in a tabernacle. In the New Testament, in the New Covenant, God dwells within his people by the Holy Spirit. And in the New Jerusalem, at the culmination of it all, he will dwell with his people physically once again. Isn't that beautiful? So that's his, his heart. Look at verse 4. It says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. That verse 4 shows us what the effects of sin are. Because there is no, no tears in your eyes without the existence of sin. I mean, maybe tears of joy. But even tears of joy are like, I was jacked up and you saved me. I'm happy that you came. <laughs> right? So there's acknowledgement of that. Uh, death is a result of sin, right? Why do we mourn? Because of tragedy, because of loss. Why do we cry? All of these negative emotions come because of the presence of sin. But the Lord is promising that those things will be no more. There will be a day where they will be, there will be no more. And so, as we conclude this part of what does he save us from, let's review that the, he saves us from the penalty of sin. He saves us from the power of sin. 
and he saves us from the presence of sin. The next question is, what does he save us to? And I'll answer it simply with one phrase and then three things that I think uh, show forth what he saves us to. He saves us to be part of his kingdom, to experience all that he is. Because when you accept Jesus, when you call on him to save you, there's a transfer. Say transfer. transfer. Or a trade. Say trade. trade. Right? There's a trade that happens. It says here that he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us where? Yes. To the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So the transfer is, you used to be part of the kingdom of darkness, where all the vices overtook you, where you were stuck and your sensitivity to the Lord was dulled, your eyes weren't able to see, you weren't able to hear him, your heart was hardened towards him. He took you from that on the moment that he opened your eyes and opened your ears and you called upon his name. He took you from the domain of darkness and put you in the kingdom of his beloved son. There is a transfer that happens and so the life that you live here on earth as you wait for the glorious appearing of the Lord Jesus is to be lived in his kingdom and an active part in his kingdom. So what do I mean by to be part of his kingdom? It is a kingdom, first of all, in which the king has our loyalty and devotion and we live for him. It is a kingdom in which the king has our loyalty and devotion, and we live for him. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 14 through 15. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all. This is talking about Jesus. Why did he die for all? That those who live, he died so that we would be made alive, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. So our loyalty and our devotion and our life is devoted to Jesus. I am not my own. We affirm what Paul says. I'm not my own. I've been bought at a price. So my will, my desires, my dreams, all of that, I surrender to him. Why? Because I live for him and not for my Self. So if you're going to be part of his kingdom, know that it's going to require your loyalty and devotion. And that's, in a sense, what we do when we are baptized. When you're baptized, you're saying that you have died to your old way and you've been raised to new life in Jesus Christ. So you're going to do life a different way. In the way that, uh, in the way that Jesus modeled for us that he brought heaven to earth, right? That he brought new life and made you a new creation. That he made it possible for you to, for the de your destiny and your future to look different than what the enemy had desired to accomplish in your life or to hinder in your life. We live for him. That's what we do. Practically, every day, it looks like this. Jesus, what do you want to do today? How can I join you today? It's a good question to ask the Lord each day. How can I join you today? What, what is it that you want to do? Amen? The other thing that it implies to be part of his kingdom, it's a kingdom in which we proclaim his kingdom. We are unashamed of the gospel. Why? The Bible says in Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first, and also to the Greek. So what we're saying here is that the, the Christian who lives in the kingdom of God is unashamed of talking about the king. You're unashamed about what he has accomplished for you. He saved you from the penalty of sin. He saved you from the power of sin. And he saves you one, for one day. Saves you so that one day you will be free from the presence of sin. 
Talk about him. Don't be ashamed. Amen? Amen. He's got something to say about that too, if you are ashamed. Got to be careful with how willing or unwilling we are to talk about Jesus when he gives us opportunity. The third thing, to be part of his kingdom, it is a kingdom in which we walk in the power and authority of Jesus. When Jesus was setting his disciples up, because that's what he was doing, he was teaching them so that they could do the ministry on the day that he would be exalted, the day that he would be taken and ascended into heaven. He was preparing his disciples for ministry. And so he modeled for them what ministry ought to look like. He said to them, listen, guys, when you go, this is a trial run. When you go into the towns, this is what you need to do. Proclaim as you go, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The king has come. The king is here. That's what they ought to go and proclaim. The king is here. What we've been waiting for is here. Understand? It's here. What you want, what you need, is found in Jesus. What you really need, not necessarily what you think you need, what you really need is in Jesus. And so, if we're going to follow his motto, this is what his motto is. That we would walk in the power and authority of Jesus. This is how they did that. When they went proclaiming the kingdom of heaven, they also demonstrated how the kingdom was near. And this is how they demonstrated it. They healed the sick. They raised the dead. They cleansed the lepers. They casted out demons. He said to them, you received without paying, so give without pay. This is the job description of a Christian. Some people have developed theologies in which because we don't experience these often in our midst, then it must not exist. But I would encourage you to let the Bible increase your faith. Let the Bible tell you what is possible. Let the Bible tell you what this kingdom ministry looked like. What does it look like to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit and in the authority of the name of Jesus? When you do that, diseases bow to Jesus. When you do that, demons bow to Jesus. When you do that, even death bows to Jesus. I mean, one day I would like to see the dead raised. <laughs> I'm waiting for that day, right? I've seen other thi- the other stuff. Leprosy is not uh, a big thing in our day, but I guess I'd like to see eczema cleared and, and, and healed. Amen? So, practically, if you want to grow in this, the healing the sick part tonight, let's put a plug in. Tonight we're doing um, an equipping session on how to pray for healing. Because it's not just the pastors that ought to pray. That is for all disciples in Jesus Christ. All of us, right? Amen? And so if you uh, want to be part of that, come tonight at 6 o'clock and child care is provided for that. Amen? So let's recap where we've been. What does he save us from? Jesus saves us from the penalty of sin, from the power of sin, and from the presence of sin. What does he save us to? To be part of his kingdom. Jesus saves us to be part of this kingdom. So we're going to move now into responding because messages aren't just to be, oh, that was nice, Pastor. You, You said some good things. No, we want you to respond. And so first response is some of you in this room need salvation. Some of you in this room, I don't know who you are, but you might find yourself at a place where you're like, yeah, the vices are overtaking me. Or maybe you're just like, my life's not really that bad, but I haven't really called on Jesus' name to save me. And I really don't want to go to hell, and I really see that he loves me. Maybe you want to respond today with believing in the Lord Jesus, that he was raised from the dead, and confessing with your mouth that he is Lord. Maybe you would like to do that. And so I will be up here uh, to help you in that matter if you would like to uh, move in that way. Um, Second response, 
Those of us who are Christians, we're not going to assume that all of us are set free from whatever sin that entangled us because the reality is we're all struggling and we're all works in progress. Amen? But I believe that when we preach the Word of God, the Spirit of God is specifically here today to set you free from whatever sin you feel is entangling you. And so it might be a good idea to receive prayer for that. It might be a good idea if you don't feel comfortable coming up to be prayed for by me, to maybe go to someone who's next to you who you feel comfortable with. Again, we are the body of Christ, and we can pray over one another. And those of you who have Jesus and love him and serve him, you have the same power that I have, right? So it's not a pastor thing. It's an all of us thing, all right? Third thing for all of us, I think we need to renew our loyalty, I think that we need to renew our loyalty and our commitment to take whatever opportunity he gives us to proclaim the gospel. And I'm not saying, like, go and, like, yell in people's face, you dirty, rotten sinner. That's not what I'm talking about. (laughs) Share the love of Jesus. His death is for their sin, right? Develop your ear to hear how the Lord wants you to share Jesus with them. Amen? So renew your loyalty and your commitment to proclaim the gospel and also to minister in the power and authority of Jesus when prompted by the Holy Spirit. Just think about your week. Think about the moments where you felt prompted by the Holy Spirit and some of you took it and others of you really did not. And one one of the things is not to make you feel guilty, but to let you know that those promptings that you feel is God calling you to join him in the adventure, in the mission of what it is to be a Christian on this earth. And to step out, regardless of what the outcome may be, but to trust him. Put your faith, put your weight on it. (laughs) Right? So listen to the promptings of the Holy Spirit this week, and maybe today renew your commitment to say, Lord, whenever you... Whenever you ask me to share about you, I will do it in whatever way you say to do it. And whenever you ask me to pray for someone, I will do that. I will, I will be a minister of your kingdom this week. Can you do that this morning? Also known as afternoon. Uh, why don't you close your eyes? And again, if you want to be saved, you can come up. I can help you with that. Or we can talk later. That's okay where there's less pressure. Uh, but for, and if you want to be set free from sin, you can receive prayer for that too. And uh, while you're sitting, you can renew your loyalty and your commitment to proclaim the gospel and to listen to the Holy Spirit's promptings and following when he asks you to minister. So we'll give you a couple moments, a couple minutes uh, to do that. And then I'll close us in prayer. Jesus, I bind the spirit of seduction and I lose the spirit of purity and wholeness in Jesus' name. Jesus, I bind in the name of Jesus, I command affliction to the head to be gone in Jesus' name those who feel tightness in their cranium in the name of Jesus I declare it free in this moment hallelujah Lord I declare eyes open to see to be aware of the enemy's schemes I bless your church with eyes to see Hallelujah. Praise your name, Jesus. We exalt your name. We enthrone Jesus as King. We set you apart as Lord in our hearts and we give you our loyalty, Jesus. 
we give you our devotion. For you're a great Savior. You're a great Savior. We praise your name. We exalt you, Jesus. Hallelujah to your name. We thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Jesus, we come against the spirit of stupor, dullness, lack of understanding, and we say in Jesus' name, wisdom come, spirit of revelation come. For those who feel stuck in this moment, that you have steps to move forward, but you don't know what those steps are, Lord, I declare clarity in the name of Jesus to see through it, to navigate through it, Lord, to move to their destiny in you, Jesus. I declare that. Thank you for your salvation. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Just the other day, uh, Friday, on my Sabbath, Psalm 113 declares that the Lord who is exalted above, He looks far down and lifts the poor and needy out of the ash heap. And He seats us with princes, seats us with royalty. And so in the name of Jesus, I bind the spirit of poverty and laziness and lack of innovation. And I loose, O Lord, the spirit of the Prince of Peace for you to be seated in heavenly places with the Lord. Hallelujah. Receive from the Lord this afternoon. He's good and He's here. Hallelujah. Thank you. Thank you for breaking the, bond, the binds of sin in our lives, Lord. We just love the future that you have for us. And we love who you are in our present. So we love you, Lord, and we cling to you. I bless your church. True Vine, I bless you in the name of Jesus to be part of the kingdom to be loyal and devoted and live your life for Jesus. To walk in the power of the Holy Spirit and to walk in the boldness of proclaiming the gospel of Jesus. I bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you again for choosing to be worshiping with us today. Just shortly, some refreshments will come out. And so you're welcome to join us, uh, hang out, talk to one another. Again, if you need prayer for anything, I'm, I'm here. God bless you. You are dismissed.